2: Nearly an hour-long introductory press conference from Rob Polinka and Darvin Han. Uh, Mike and I were on the scene, Darius uh, listened after the fact, and today we're going to talk about it from LeBron James being rejuvenated, uh, preparing for the season like a rookie, to Anthony Davis getting his body right, having a healthy summer of preparation, Rui being attached at the hip to LeBron. Darvin giving a very interesting explanation of why the Lakers didn't pursue the big, big that that I was pining for. Right. And a whole lot more uh, really interesting press conference, thorough and comprehensive. Mike, set the stage for us, man. What uh, what came to you from the introductory press conference for the 2023-24 season?
3: Yeah, Pete, a lot. And yeah. I think that's part of the reason why it went this long. And it could have gone longer. I would have loved to hear more about Torian Prince and. Max Christie, I thought about asking a follow up question about there's just I was trying to figure out, OK, so my first question to Darwin was I, I left it sort of general to see if there was anything that he pulled out um, that stood out from everything. And, and he he kind of he did more of a summary piece. And then I decided to ask Rob first about Austin Reeves. Just because I thought that was the biggest thing that changed and evolved from last year to make the team, you know, if he is, he being what he is as a number three um, is pretty significant. And that was not what was necessarily planned upon last year or amidst all of the team building. And, and we talked about that, like, it, yes, the trade deadline and the move to bring um, D'Lo and Vanderbilt and Beasley at the time was certainly significant and Russ going out. But Austin emerging into this, you know, playoff killer uh, maybe has a more meaningful push for this team as they go into next season but then it's lebron james and year 21 and and like what did they see from him this summer and i think that after like rob made the comment about austin and the mama mentality which i thought was great but the quote that stood out the most to me out of the whole hour um, was when they were talking about ad's extension uh, and sort of the the way that it started was, uh, and I think Rob said this, we want to commit to you, but we want you to commit to us as well. And then he talked about the work and being in the gym in the summer and working with the assistant coaches and his body. And I think that at the end of the day, it's so hard not to have LeBron be the the main storyline heading into a season, but but to me, it it's a little bit more about Anthony Davis uh, and the ceiling that he can reach as the best player, clearly now. Uh, and then how does how again, hard to say, but how does LeBron support that as opposed to just being this uh, LeBron James, this incredible figure like that? So uh, we can get more into the AD stuff and what the specifics were. But that was my my biggest takeaway, probably um, as we get get to media day in a couple of days.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. Last season, 20, such a round number. Right. And I think the idea of last offseason when and I think this was a question that got asked to Darwin. I think that the way the question was phrased was you said all the right things last summer about like wanting to go out there and compete at the highest level. But the implication was that like, but that team actually wasn't equipped to do that. Mm -hmm. And this off season, there looks to be a much better chance to accomplish those goals. How are you feeling? And Darwin sort of skirted some, some of that. But um, I think that, the, the way that that was set up, and Mike, your takeaway, I'm sort of combining those things in my own mind there. Everything was set up as sort of a LeBron season last season in that again, 20, such a big round number and the anticipation of going into your 20th season and and on the precipice of breaking the all-time scoring record, I think there was a lot of LeBron James-centric stuff that was put forward in front of maybe even necessarily team success based off of A, the position of the roster, Pete, and B, like the slow start and like the hole that the team was trying to dig their way out of and... My big takeaway was twofold from this. And I think it runs parallel with what Mike was saying. There's a general sense of optimism that I don't think I've sensed around the team in, I don't want to say a long time, but probably since coming off of the title season. But even that Mm -hmm. was like in the midst of COVID and the short turnaround. And there was a lot of stuff to be concerned about that was undercutting that optimism of you're the defending champions. The idea of like work and commitment and what's required of the players. Even Rob's quote, Pete, about like, we want to commit to you. um, We want you to commit to us. And the comments about AD's work, the comments about Austin's work, the comments about Rui's work, Darwin's comment, I thought, about Christian Wood and the three levels that you have to reach as as a player where it's just like first you have to make your way and establish yourself and then you have to show that you can put up numbers basically and be effective in your role and then the third level is having your role and that effectiveness translate to winning basketball and, and sort of challenging Wood in his own way to sort of like reach that third level now with the Lakers and thinking that he can. So my takeaways were more about like this idea of, of optimism coupled though with that optimism needs to be backed up by work or else you will undercut that optimism by not putting in the proper amount of effort to reach your goals. I think that's spot on. And I think that that
2: comes from like being able to see like, yeah, we can do something with this group. It was harder to see that a year ago. And I wondered all year last year, like what did everyone's summer look like? And that's something that's just natural human nature if you don't look at your team and be like oh yeah this team that we have right now these guys can win an nba championship you know to what degree does that fuel you but when you go on a on an ad hoc western conference finals run with a bunch of guys that you just met you know i rem- clearly remember mike a uh walk-off interview that you did with dilo where he was like once we get a training camp underneath our belts belts, the sky's the limit. This has been something on their mind since they were playing well last season, you know? And so I think that the the way that that is translated to everybody putting in that work over the course of this summer um, is it portends really well for this season. But Anthony Davis like you said Mike is at the centerpiece of it there's buzz out there was buzz out of LeBron's training camp in San Diego that his jumpers look really good one thing that Darvin said that he spent the summer working with coach uh Chris Gent who is not our who is not technically our shooting coach right but was a shooting coach at one point and LeBron has cited him as being somebody who really helped him with his jumper um and so to me the He's the nexus of this team and what style of team this could be combined with Darvin's answer about why we don't have like that big, big type of guy. And with the type of guys that we did get, I can't help but think that this team is really set up for, um, really set up to be a, a highly skilled team where Anthony Davis, if that's your five, you got to be able to carve teams up. And now we have the personnel to be able to do that. And so I, in listening to Darvin in particular, I was like, okay, I see the vision that he's going for. I see the uh, the style of play, the team that he's looking for. Right. He's he said uh, at first he was like, I'm not going to give you my starters. And then he ended up confirming four out of the five. Right. Um, And so that level of optimism and work that has been put in combined with, I think, a clear vision from the coach and then the talent to execute on it. I think um, I don't know. I came away really, really excited.
3: Yeah, so just to piggyback on that point, and Darwin towards the end of the presser got a little bit more into detail about what he thinks of the modern big, essentially, and how he prefers overall, uh, with the exceptions of sort of Jokic and Embiid, he mentioned them by name, and he threw Nurkic in there as well. Um, I think he said a couple other guys. I'm, I'm not, I guess that would be like a Vucevic type, but he essentially said like where the league is going is is more towards a big like AD. And we've talked about some of those guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. And Evan Mobley coming on these more versatile bigs that can move their feet onto the floor and and they can just allow you to play different types of lineups. As opposed to if you have a center like Jokic or Nurkic or Embiid, you you just have to play a certain way. They have to be kind of camped out in the lane. They can't be getting out in the perimeter, moving their feet. And clearly that can win as, as it just happened with Denver. But that was the first time in a while, you know, where a center like that had won as much. Now you could mentioned brooke lopez in this he's a little bit of a hybrid because offensively he spaces he does camp out but they had many lineups with Giannis essentially playing the five down the stretch where brooke was sitting and that's the luxury they had in milwaukee but to get back to ad uh, in in this instance like darvin actually talked about him <clears throat> in what we've been talking about and i know that darius and i have had a couple of these conversations itself so quote he came back leaner stronger quicker more explosive and i i was sitting there like Hmm. With that, you know, with kind of like that meme with mm-hmm. the, uh, with the face, just like, that is what I think that AD getting just, even if it's a, a half step quicker in that context, I think is ideal for his body. But then the question goes back to how do you defend some of these bigger players, especially in the West with Jokic, but I'm not going to worry about that right now. I I just want AD um to be in sort of his best shape locked in the most uh, him feeling like that he has this leadership mantle and it's not necessarily one that's just shared with lebron but it's like hey look we just invested in you you're the guy that now that has the longest Mm -hmm. contract you're the guy um that is going to be here and here's what is expected and and him sort of embracing that and I think uh, one of you just mentioned that that trickles down then what we heard about Rui physically and how he's been mirroring LeBron and what we heard about D'Lo physically and he being in there working in that way. And it all does fit together, but it has to start somewhere. And as I say this, Darius, I find my, I'd be remiss not to mention that Rob Polinka said LeBron was the one that was in the most. Yep. And doing his two a days. So it it does all seem the narrative coming out of this was very clear, right, about what the team has been doing. And, and even if I want to say it starts with A.D., the fact that it's going everywhere else uh, is pretty encouraging for them to especially relative to where things were going into the last couple of media days.
1: 100 percent. Let's get to break here and come out the other side and talk a little bit more A.D., but also the North Star.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: I can't help but think about Anthony Davis and this idea of what he can and can't do, what he should or should not be Um, and a lot of outside perspective on Anthony Davis, seemingly ever since he became a Laker. (laughs) Like I, I remember him as a Pelican and him being basically talked about as like the heir apparent to Tim Duncan Mm -hmm. and one of the best big prospects ever. Um, he came to the Lakers and suddenly he was joining team turmoil and would everything be okay? Um, That team ended up winning a championship, and ever since then, to sort of kick back against my own sort of like, oh, I'm taking a harsh stance here against outside noise, AD hasn't been at his best, physically, for sure. He has dealt with injuries. He has missed chunks of games almost every single season. And it wasn't until this past season where I think that he regained a certain amount of notoriety and spotlight for like the type of player that he can be consistently, but even that was undercut by like a 25-point night one night and then an 18-point night the next night or a bad shooting night or whatever. Pete, I say all this because Anthony Davis was long considered one of the most unique and shape-shifting big men that you could possibly like possibly have. Mm-hmm. And I have long been a proponent that he can do anything on the court and that The more and more people try to say he can only be this is the more and more you limit the ceiling of your basketball team. And so. I've seen a player that is bulked up and basically tried to meet the moment of what the asks were potentially or even not even potentially were telling him that he was going to be right And so he went from a roster where he was going to be basically a part-time center, and he was built like a power forward was built. He was rangy, he was mobile, he was thinner, he was lighter. Over the next several years, it was, all right, well now you're one of the only two true centers on the team with Marcus Saul, right? And then they got Drummond at the trade deadline, but the shift was like, oh, we got Montrez Harrell, who's a center, but a center in name only, and then the seasons after that, it was like, actually, you're like the only real big man that could actually play. We have hopes for these other guys, but right. they're actually much worse than you at all of the things that we would ask a center to do. Right. Which wasn't even the case with like Marcus Gasol. You could argue that Marcus Gasol, like, hey, like he's a big bruiser. He could do all of this other stuff. And now I feel like that's. AD is still like the most physically imposing guy. And I think that that's a question for another day. And Darwin spoke to some of this around like what his vision of of a big man is. But I'm happy that they're like, hey, we've got these other rangy big dudes that we think that you can play with. And we wanna test this stuff out. And so that's a long preamble here, Pete, but but I wanted to sort of get your thoughts about this idea of AD the shapeshifter, because last season it was AD, you're a center, like Mm -hmm. 99.9% of the time. And coming off of that, I feel like the narrative around him now is, well, he is a center. And that's all that he can do. But Darwin's idea of a center is, well, those guys should be able to do anything because that's where the league is going. So how do you – where's that bridge for you and and how do these ideas connect?
2: I love this framing of AD as the big versus AD as the the shapeshifter because the – I've always viewed him as a gigantic wing as opposed to a big man. Now, he is a big man and he's one of the best bigs in the league, right? But in terms of his natural disposition and game, I think he's more wing than he is big men. And I am I- incredibly excited at the... Things that he can do off of the dribble this year, um, with the shooting talent around, where you can't just like cheat into the paint and 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 hang off of a mic right, uh, and still play two bigs right. You can play Christian Wood next to him and have AD at the four, and maybe we see some more of those rim runs and all of that right. Pete,
3: um, Pete a, a quick interjection into his identifying more as a wing or even a guard, is because he grew up as a guard. Yes. You know, remember, like he grew 10 inches uh, when he was in high school. So that's that's why. Right. It's not like that's the, the just the genesis of his game is from the perimeter.
2: That's right. And the the, the weakness of that, let's thinking, thinking of basketball and that rock, paper, scissors type of way. The Rocks give him problems, right? The really, really big, strong guys, the Jokic's, the M- Embiid's, the Gobert did very well against him. And Gobert's an interesting one, because uh, he did well against AD this past season. You and I were looking at some of the matchup uh, data not too long ago, um, and the and the tape confirms as well, AD used to absolutely cook Gobert precisely because he had those perimeter abilities and those types of skills and that, like... If it becomes a, a battle of strength under the basket, that's an advantage to go bear. But if AD is a threat on the perimeter, and I, I really think, guys, that we focus too much on three-point shooting within this, it is an element. I don't want to act like it's not, but it's like attacking off of the dribble, Uh, you know— getting a big man to lean one way and attacking the other and hitting a little floater and drawing an and one. Cause the guy's trying to recover his balance. That's the space where AD really can make guys like that. Those type of bigs that Darwin was like kind of, the league is going away from these types of guys ad can really go after those guys if he's a threat from the perimeter and so d our conversation about and one thing that you you really pointed out well uh, in the playoffs last year is that when you're asking ad to roll to the basket every time it's you are limiting him to just being that big which he's one of the very best in the game but when he can be that and he's also this guy that like oh you're gonna make Rudy Gobert dance 20 feet away from the basket, and he clearly has no chance. Like, I, that that to me is the fully realized Anthony Davis
1: and the guy that can be the best player on a title team. It's interesting because we want AD the mo- to be the most efficient version of himself, right? And he had his high shooting percentage of his right, career. Right, let's not act like he wasn't amazing last year, right? No, and he was an elite rolling big man. Like, he was elite at this. Like. Yep. Multiple possession, like I think he averaged like five or six possessions a game or like, or shots a game out of the pick and roll. And like, he's scoring like 1.4 points per possession as like a role man. Like he's, he's a crazy efficient player. I'm with Pete though, in that I don't mind AD taking more mid-range jumpers. I want him, I want this to be a more involved part of his game. I want his diet to be more diverse, right? It's just like, we talk about meat and potatoes and it's like, well, but yeah, like, I want all the veggies too. And like, give me some salads and and all of the stuff at the buffet, like AD has that ability to be all of those things. And so what's your stance on that? Like the word about his jump shooting Um, looking good at this stage of the season is encouraging to me if for nothing else that I want the idea back in his head that he should be shooting those shots. Because I think that even if his individual efficiency suffers, he can raise the ceiling of the team of the team's offense by diversifying his individual offensive attack. If that makes sense.
3: It does make sense. My quick ad thought is just the more the better on offense you want to shoot shoot as much as you want you are the star you are the guy i really really think that because ad is he he has an unselfish nature to his game but if you gas him up a little bit which to me would be for proper reason then it just helps the whole thing so this to me should and it's again where it becomes difficult when I think about LeBron and how great he still is. But like, that's what I want going into this season. AD, you're the guy, you get a lot of shots. Everybody else will fit, fit in around you. Uh, and Pete, like, I just, I will spam that as much as you let me if I'm the coach.
2: If I'm Anthony Davis though, I'm, you know, like, help me help you type of mindset coming into this off season in that if you're going to ask me to do All of the things around the basket, which I can do, right? Defensively, the best defensive rebounder in the game pissed me off. That was never a part of the DPOY conversations. Jaron Jackson Jr. is one of the worst defensive rebounding. Anyway, um, like, you're, but all the physicality stuff, if it's going to fall on AD's shoulders, I don't think it's particularly fair to ask him on the other end also get up 20 25 shots which is hard in its own right and so I think the acquisition of a guy like Christian wood now Darwin was very bullish on his like hey he can block some shots he brought that up a few times yesterday that's going to be super crucial to actually making it work but I think that alleviating some of that on one end Mike can help reach that place because I think it's really hard to ask a guy to be that on one end and get those 20 25 shots up on the other
3: there's so much to interject to, and to get into and I I would like to spend a little time on Christian Wood, because it's the first time that we've heard Darvin and Rob speak mm-hmm. about him. And okay, a quick aside before I set up Darius for something. When, when, so Darvin's talking about Christian Wood and kind of like his relationship with him. And It's very positive. And and Darwin is like, if I'm, if you are a certain way with me, that's what I'm going with. I don't care what I heard about how he was in Dallas. I don't care about what I heard about how he was in Houston. Like, I know that this guy, I I know he's respectful. I know he likes to, he listens and he cares and he tries to execute scheme. And then Rob says a couple moments later, uh, he cites an old Greg Popovich uh, quote, which basically says, yeah, all the X's and O's great. But what makes an NBA head coach is the way that a coach relates to the player. And then Rob said, he thinks Darwin does that better than anybody. We just did the Darvin pod, and that's a more eloquent way of saying what we were trying to say, is that he, whatever the personal interaction is between coach and player, Darvin's good at that. And I think, therefore, we just saw it with Russell in the regular season. We just saw it with Rui coming from different coaches and different teams. He does do that really well, and and that should give us maybe a little bit more confidence in what Christian Wood can be with Darvin. Now, to kick to Darius, because we were just talking about AD and... I, it made me think about Deandre Ayton in, a, in, a, in the context of mm-hmm. in Phoenix, mm-hmm. they're like, Hey, <laughs> we, we need you to roll to the rim to dunk, like to rebound, to do big guy stuff. And there seems to be pushback from Ayton. Nah, I want to do my stuff. And mm-hmm. AD, it's like the opposite. It's, it's, Hey, you're, right. <laughs> you're he's always doing this stuff um and especially on the defensive end let alone roll to the rim but like now go ahead bro <laughs> like go take that you want to take that midi okay you want to take a couple threes we're, we're here for, to support that but darius quick thoughts and we can do a different segment on this later but quick thoughts on the dame trade on aiden like i just i want to hear your top line real quick as we interject at random
1: oh man so i like this off-ramp here I mostly agree with what you were talking about in terms of who you like it for and how you like it less for the Suns. Um, I'm actually, I don't want to say bullish on Ayton. I just think that you take a center number one overall and then you tell him to go be like mm-hmm. like a guy who is just like not going to shoot very much. And we want you to do all of the dirty work stuff like Shaq always said, like you want, you want the dog to protect the house, then you got to feed the big dog. That's how it goes. And they were they were, you know, telling Aiden a little bit like, hey, man, like we're going to hold your food back. And how you get your food is by. It's just like, no, yeah, that's the wrong way with him. And it got out of whack a little bit there. I also agree with Pete that I don't think that was coming back for him in Mm -hmm. Phoenix. And so it's sort of like they depressed their own asset and then they didn't get as much back for them. I'm not particularly high on Nurkic as a player at this stage of his career. He's been proven to be injury prone and not be able to complete seasons. He was losing minutes to Drew Eubanks last season and Eubanks he might again this season. <laughs> Eubanks just happens to be the player that um the Suns had already signed in free agency. So um Nurkic may have some PTSD around that one there in practice, and Eubanks is beating him up up and down the court. Potentially, we'll see about how that goes. I really like this for Portland. I really like it for Milwaukee. Honestly, like um, I think we'll get there eventually. But when we see game and Giannis two man game. And Dame has never played with a player even close to what Giannis does on the court. And we've never seen Dame run ghost screen actions where he's the potential screener with a guy who could handle the ball and get downhill the way that Giannis does. Like, imagine guards hedging on him when Mm -hmm. the guy that you have to leave is Damian Lillard. Like, what's that going to look like beyond the conventional way that that action could be run where it's Giannis setting screens for Dame and like the spacing that they could provide him and the way that they could potentially protect him on the back line defensively with Giannis and Brook Lopez. I am concerned a little bit about Milwaukee's like wing depth and their defensive depth there I think that they're going from having the lean on Chris Middleton as like we need you to do so much offensively to like hey we actually need you mm-hmm. to be a wing stopper defensively yeah because Drew would take a lot of those guys right D like yeah he, and so does Middleton yeah. still have that in him that's not As much as Giannis, Giannis has won a Defensive Player of the Year award, but he has not done it as like a lockdown wing defender. He has done it as a help side defender. And so I'm interested in how all this plays out.
3: Just a a quick thought, Darius, and feel free to go on about it. Like when when a star that the other star respects a lot comes, though, I feel like that that other star in, in this case would be Giannis. Is happy to do a little bit more. And maybe that's on the defensive end where Giannis was, Giannis was kind of chilling a little bit last year defensively in the regular season and didn't get as much attention for that. Uh, he like, just look at his blocks and steals numbers last year relative to the previous couple. My guess now is that we get more of that in in mm-hmm. yacht. Okay. You want me to take the big wing tonight instead of just doing what I was doing and conserving. Mm. So I think there's part of that. And I think the same for Bradley Beal and Phoenix, where the third best perimeter defender is on Bradley Beal and he's just cooking. Right. It dudes um, yeah. all regular season in, in, in that context because you got somebody else deployed on Devin Booker you got somebody deployed on KD you're worried about them on the weak side and and like that's the kind of thing I think sometimes when when we criticize these star these big time star builds like they will do more of those little things for each other because they're more motivated mm-hmm. to do so good point also too they're really good at basketball that's why they're star players to <laughs> begin with like
1: they have a lot of these tools Pete and a lot of times they're not always asked to deploy them because stars get elevated in a way where certain asks get less and less and less which is yep. like one of my beefs about like today's hard NBA. to win hard to win at a high level that way you need your stars doing that stuff too yep no it's just like i'm i'm from that old school era of like you you know the jordans and what the, the, the like the two way player right where it's just like this is how you shine and it's one thing even magic johnson like, he led the league in steals right. before. Like, he just brings something was to the table, do what you can, do. yeah. And, and was a triple double machine. And so he's on the defensive glass. Like, he was doing other mm-hmm. things defensively and not necessarily if he's a, a lockdown wing guy. But, like, I'm super intrigued by Milwaukee. I think that they've elevated to the top of the Eastern Conference as a favorite now. I'm interested to see where Drew Holiday goes. There's a lot of angles to like this trade that when you said, Mike, that this is good for the league, it's good for like NBA fans. Like I'm 100% in, in agreement there just because there is so much meat on this bone. Um, to get after around like how this impacts the the entire league but l- let's go to break here and then coming back out Pete I want to hear a little bit more about like two big stuff and maybe um get to a few other topics that Darvin and Rob brought up particularly on the offensive side of the ball Pete Darvin talked a lot about Swiss army knives yes he did in yesterday's presser and the implication there to me is that like oh we've got a lot of guys that can do a lot of different stuff which implies again that we may start to do more variety of stuff with more variety of lineups he was talking about big lineups and small lineups when you talk about lineup diversity, you also start to talk about like, does that involve scheme diversity? I don't yeah. think he got into as much of that side of things, but I want you to put your coaching hat on a little bit and, and go on a little bit about like that lineup diversity and what you think that that might mean for the scheme stuff. Yeah, that,
2: that Swiss Army knife uh, quality, I think is, is gonna shine through with this particular roster. And it's part of the reason why I would like to see us play five out and or just off of our bigs, quote unquote, at the elbow or top of the key. And by our bigs, I mean Anthony Davis and LeBron. And so starting with them, one of the reasons I like the idea of LeBron in the post, it's not just the low post, but it's also the elbow or the top of the key, is he can pretty much stand in one spot and still dominate in that... If you've got shooters, cutters, smart players that know how to read a defense, and there's that whole principle that Mike was talking about with Beal and Phoenix, where it's like you just run out of guys on the other team to put like a legit guy on that guy. And, and so that you can really exploit mismatches with LeBron standing in one place and just like a quarterback without a pass rush, be like, oh, that's Gabe, you know, shook shook loose and is now open off the corner. Go kick the ball out out there, right? And so- If it's AD with the ball in his hands at the top of the key, I've been sort of worried about our ability to drive to the basket. It's almost the opposite worry of the last couple of years teams in that like as for as good as Austin and D'Lo are and and, and Gabe are uh, or and, and Gabe is like none of them are really like get downhill type of players, which isn't the end all be all, but it's good to have. And LeBron obviously is probably the greatest of all time at that particular thing, but he's in year 21 and we're talking, you know, him being on the ball and beating guys off of the dribble is one of the harder asks in terms of just physical toll and whatnot. And I got to thinking yesterday and I was like, that's AD. If we can just create space around AD, get bodies out of the paint for AD, that AD is our guy to beat guys off of the dribble. And so this idea of like playing through our big guys at the top of the key and at the elbow, that's more of a five out type of, set, right, where the players on the perimeter are closer to are closer to each other. So it's a lot more player movement and ball movement versus dribble drive type of action. And that's one of the super interesting coaching things about this season to me, Mike, is that four out type of style and what we did a lot of last year, and we did run run some five out stuff too, is more built for the beat guys off of the dribble type of uh Type, uh, type of offense. I still think that's going to be a big, if not the main part. But I think that the ability to switch into a bunch of different things to beat that opponent that night and exploit their weaknesses. I think we're in great shape, and everything Darvin said really kind of spoke to that being where his mind's
3: at. And that's more of a playoff type of way to run a team, also. And what, how can we shape shift from this game to counter what that team did last game? And it, and it can work if you have the right players. I want to focus a bit because I. I'd love to get your guys' take on a little bit more on Christian Wood in this context. So Rob mentioned the mini camp that down in San Diego, and he said that when AD and Christian Wood were out there together, um, just the sheer length of them mm. was very imposing and impressive. And, and, and of course that makes sense. But then I start to think of, well, what is the, what is the line? What does it look like on the perimeter in that instance? Where, how many of these minutes are with LeBron resting versus LeBron out there? We've talked about LeBron at the three versus the four. Um, so, that part I'm curious for your guys' take on. And then also, what Darvin said after praising Christian Wood, and, and this is what Darvin's so good at, right? He's like, he's, he's, because he's a genuinely good human and he genuinely cares about you, he can also be real in his particular way. And mm-hmm. it helps that he's, you know, physically imposing and all that, but he can do it with a smile. But he basically challenged Christian Wood and said, Hey, you're, uh, you put up a lot of stats before. Now it's time for you to show us that you can impact winning. Mm-hmm. and at, at the highest level with those stats and then he said in christian's excited about that right so there that's a delicate combo to have with somebody hey you put up numbers before you've never won you've never been to the playoffs why what can you do for us but to say it in a way that inspires and and yep. doesn't detract uh and sort of put it on the guy then to do so and and i'm i'm just curious how that works out both from a men- mentality standpoint and from the x's and o's and like who he's playing with where are you at on wood pete
1: One of the things that I'm interested in seeing from him is defensively, where his strengths actually are defensively, and what that means for him within the context of where that positions Anthony Davis then, right? Because we talk about AD as the five, or Wood as the five, potentially, and in two big lineups, one of them is going to be more in the center of the frame, and one of them is going to be more
0: in a help situation,
1: right? And what I've seen from Wood is that he's pretty good at like corralling, corralling the ball when he's defending the ball and getting blocks when he's sort of, when the action comes to him in a way, but not necessarily, um, when he has to, like, make multiple rotations in a single possession mm. and then be the guy who is sort of playing quarterback, like, on the back back line. And AD can obviously do everything defensively. And, and so whatever the ask is, I'm comfortable with him doing that. But where are you at with Wood in, in relation to this? Because I think it's Wood's ability that's going to make two big lineups work, not Anthony Davis's.
2: Yes, although – Although I think that with a guy like Wood who does have defensive weaknesses, right, we've been talking about, yes, there are things that he can do on defense, and that is the place you need to start if you're building off of uh – uh what a player that is imperfect on one end of the of the floor is like, okay, well, what can you do? And try to put them in the position to do that as much as possible versus the things that they're not as good at. That said, that will not always be up to the Lakers, right? It will be up to the talent of the other team to a great degree. And I think what is good about this particular combo is that you can always solve a problem with Anthony Davis in that you can still play those two big type of lineups and I think sometimes Wood can be at the 4 right and it is AD the guy that's playing that quarterback position where and and is a little bit stronger and he has a little bit of you know more presence around the rim and with physicality and and so I think that there is a versatility there where they can do each other's jobs. Now, getting Wood into rotation at the four spot is also tricky, right? And so that's one of the big questions of the year for me, D, is like, yeah, we talk about these two big lineups, but at the highest levels of basketball, will it be Christian Wood is not strong enough and not stout enough around the rim to play defensively at the five spot, but also not mobile enough to be able to make perimeter rotations at the four? All of a sudden, then maybe your two big ideas go by the wayside. And that to me is kind of implicit in the challenge that Darvin presented to him.
1: Yeah, and this is where I'm interested too in like how and whether having these versatile players translates to the changing of what the scheme actually is defensively, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so it seems counterintuitive to say that the team would switch more with two bigs on the floor, but maybe they would. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's like, who the other players are on the floor, there are so many questions to be asked and answered. And I thought Darwin said it well, Mike, when he was saying that like, that's what camp is for, Um, we're gonna start to learn about what the players can and cannot actually do beyond what their projections are and what we think that they can do now right it's just like darvin mentioned a lineup potentially with oh tory and prince at the two and right. austin at the one and and right it's just like this massive lineup with lebron or Rui at the three and it's just like oh my goodness like this team can can black out the sun right it's just like like they are unreal in terms of the amount of size but can they actually
3: defend Right. Can, Can they, they do that? Right. Yeah. And, and those
1: are those are things you're going
3: to learn. So where are you at with all that? You said it well, and I'll, I'll let you leave it at that. I, and since we're getting close to time here, I just wanted to emphasize. So they were really strongly supportive of D'Angelo Russell to the point where Darvin called him the starting mm-hmm. point guard, um, mm-hmm. which to me was in some sort of a message to Russell of, hey, we support you whatever happened with like the contract negotiations like you're you're valued here rob made a whole analogy about a honeymoon and how like don't judge it by the end Uh, you can look up the clip if you want but basically we had this this great period the end at denver wasn't wasn't great that doesn't mean that it wasn't great up to that point i i thought that was significant um in that you know you're they're not viewing dlo like he may be talked about in that oh it's just a trade chip. you know they they do see some value in how he plays and then the the most effusive though uh, may have been about Rui's offseason because we yeah. expect LeBron's offseason. Like we know how LeBron that's one of the reasons he's he is who he is. But to have Rui like super excitedly just following LeBron along uh, around and Pete's yeah. probably seen him down at the office, right? Like up oh, there's yeah. LeBron, yep, there's Rui too. That's mm-hmm. always a good thing. It's always a good thing to have somebody. Uh, and you you always sometimes you wonder like why don't more people just cling on to whoever's doing it the best? And and then you have to remember. Well, not everybody can because LeBron can't have four guys come with him every morning. So there's you have to have a little bit of stature just to be able to knock on that door and have him say, yeah, come along. And and I I just think that's interesting. Uh, We haven't talked as much about well, maybe there's a little bit more upside yet in Rui Hachimura. Uh, And and that's interesting to me. Yeah, that
2: was a a big part of a point that both Rob and Darvin made is that these guys still have levels that they can reach in their individual games. And I'm excited to watch Darvin try to bring it out of them. Um, There is so much more we could talk about. Like you said, we didn't even get into Rui, who there was like effusive praise for um, and didn't get into D'Lo. But um, we will be back on Monday. Monday is media day. So we're uh, we're in it. We're in it. Uh, one of the more anticipated Lakers seasons in a minute. Um, excited. Here's to good health. Everybody have a good weekend. But until Monday, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
1: Danger's got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tip the magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's
0: magic got it.
1: Magic fires. It's Three seconds left. next
3: for the winner. It. It's on the way. Done. No! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, shot with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this.
0: You're seeing something that's very rare
3: indeed—a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me, Kobe? Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane,
0: back for Gasson. Ready pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the, the move. Two, one. Missed it! It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's over. shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yeah!